0: So again, I'd like to just invite your attention to some reflections in regard to our practice. And I'd also just like to have a sound check. And uh, please, if anyone is having difficulty hearing me, just let me know. Now, is it coming through clearly everywhere? And uh, of course, if you absolutely can't hear me, this doesn't help, does it? But um, (laughs) I'm guessing something, I'm hoping something gets through. Um, If you're having trouble hearing at any point, please indicate to us in a way that we can actually, like, recognise if you're okay to do that, um, because we'd really like to be able to facilitate you hearing what we're saying. And sorry if there are moments and times where that doesn't quite work. So this practice of exploring wakefulness, of exploring what it means to be consciously embodied and embedded in the midst of our life, and to begin to explore that experience and what that might offer to us has within it many different dimensions of possibility and exploration. And we've really been giving a lot of emphasis in the initial days of the retreat to this quality of steadying, of calming, of stabilizing, of gathering and collecting, of bringing a sense of focus and developing a degree of precision and capacity to sustain our attention with the chosen experience of body, sitting, breathing or standing or body walking (coughs) please come in and in that we find over time quite naturally and not always in an obviously linear way, there's a deepening of our capacity to land to connect, to settle. We start to feel perhaps more the resonances of our physical experience and our responses to the various sensory fields we are in contact with and sense that they can somehow be met and received from this place of embodied presence, from this quality of Conscious and mindful inhabiting of our life and our somatic field, we could say, the body. And as we engage in this way, of course, we are inevitably going to encounter a range of other experiences which initially we are invited to simply notice, to not judge or reject or regard as obstacles or problems but to kind of just let them be. While we give the primary value and importance to the settling process, as we become more settled, we start to then have the possibility from that place of steadiness to begin to look a little more deeply in to both the range of experience and the nature of experience as it arises. And so in this, we've mentioned and acknowledged the the body breathing and the sense of the posture, the sitting, both uh, the primary sense of uh, sensory physicality, pressure and temperature, being the primary things, a sense of movement and stillness or steadiness of those particular qualities. And then the more, we could say, fine or maybe subtle resonances that also play in the body and in response to experiences that come. And we've mentioned a little about just listening, noticing sound and silence. This can be something very useful to include at times so that we don't start to regard experiences as obstacles to our meditation because ultimately there are no such things. There are, of course, challenges sometimes. But we can meet all experiences with the same willingness to allow them to be there and recognition that they do not in themselves Preclude or prevent us from being here, except and in insofar as we become entangled in reactions to them, or struggles with them, or the pursuit of them. And of course that's rather, you know, in a way simple to see, maybe not always straightforward, simple to say, anyway. But we also start to become interested in the mechanisms whereby we do become entangled with. We do sometimes find ourselves pushing away or pursuing experience. And in terms of the development of the practice, with body as the primary foundation for our attentiveness, our mindfulness, our gathering and collecting of attentiveness. We can also begin to turn to the second foundation that the Buddha spoke of in relationship to this practice of developing wakefulness, mindfulness, sati. And this is the territory of what the Buddha termed vedana, which is sometimes called feeling tone, in which... uh, The best word, although a little technical, is one Akinciano offered us here some years ago, I remember, that says it very well, hedonic tone. Hedonic being to do with and of pleasure, I think. Um, And degree of or not, to which that quality of pleasantness is present in an experience, is what we're talking about in this regard. So feeling tone gets a little confusing sometimes because um, we think of feelings as emotions and it's not, that's the common translation, it's not always precise. It's about the fact, and this is something the Buddha pointed out and that we can look at for ourselves and see. Again, just in that sense of these teachings, we're not required to believe this, but we can explore and see that the framework that is offered suggests and in my experience, it seems to bear out pretty clearly that every moment of experience, every phenomena that we contact or are touched by, has this element within the experience of the making contact with it. That we would say it's either pleasant or pleasurable, something that we find agreeable or likable, or it's unpleasant unwished for, it's painful, it's disagreeable, it's not wished for. Or, and this is how it becomes pretty universal, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, it's neither wished for nor unwished for, it's neither agreeable nor disagreeable. And one can see how in that structure really everything is caught. It's this, it's that, and if it's neither this or that, that's the third thing. Sometimes translated as neutral, but I think that misses some of the particularity of it. So we're breathing <coughs> in, and the breath feels light and smooth and easeful, and there's a sense of, oh, it's actually maybe quite enjoyable to breathe this breath in. And we can notice, oh, that's the quality within the experience of breathing that we would call Vedana, hedonic tone or feeling tone. So, oh, it's like that. Or we're breathing in and actually it feels tight. We've got a little bit of a cold. It's kind of, it's scratchy or raspy or, you know, and it's like something's uncomfortable about it. Oh, that's hedonic tone. That's the feeling quality. Or, as is quite often the case, we're breathing in, but actually it's kind of neutral. It's not particularly exciting. It's not particularly uncomfortable. And actually, it's kind of, Nothingness in a certain way, in terms of that sense of is it giving me something I want or is it causing me something I would rather not experience. And what we see and what the, the Buddha pointed out with this is that when we're not present, when we're not conscious to that aspect of the experience, we pretty reliably, if not inevitably, <coughs> react according to a very simple framework, that if it feels pleasant, we tend to like it and we want more of it. And we become engaged with figuring out how I got it, how I can keep it, and how I can repeat it. And this is a a well-developed pathway in our unconscious mental activity. And if it's unpleasant, unwished for, we, we notice it in the sense of, I don't want it, I don't like it, it's painful. And we start thinking about How did this get caused? How can I prevent it from continuing? How can I bring it to an end? How can I make sure it never happens again? And this can happen in a simple level of discomfort in the body and the posture. How can I adjust my posture to avoid it or prevent it? Or feels really good, this breath. Oh wow, that feels really nice, this moment of meditation. What did I do just before to have this great moment of meditation? How can I get it again? We'll see this in simple and more complicated ways. Or in the third case, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And if we're not conscious, we tend to just disregard. We don't see it as having significance or value. And very quickly, where we find ourselves going in our mind is we start thinking about something else that's either pleasant and attractive or problematic and threatening or difficult. And so when we're not aware of this element of experience, the the re- reactive response habitual unconscious reactive response throws us into patterns of reactivity and disconnectedness which we find ourselves inhabiting and whenever we've become lost in something if we were able to and we don't have to but if we were able to track back what happened we would see a point of that process taking place where oh this happened and I didn't see it was pleasant and I moved towards, grasped after. Or I didn't see and notice that unpleasant quality or that neutral quality, and the reaction played out. So it's important to understand here that you know the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, is not somehow down on pleasure. It's not a bad thing in the, in the Buddha's teaching. In fact, it has its place and is useful and beneficial, particularly in the development of this quality of calm and samatha, whereby the gathering of the attention into the body and the breathing as it settles starts to become pleasurable and enjoyable and in fact at times and moments for us may draw us more deeply in because of that enjoyment factor and so it's not a bad thing at all and it's what we do with it that is important likewise with where there are difficult or unpainful Sorry, unpleasant and painful sensations. This is not regarded as a bad thing either. It's just this is something to be learnt from, to be explored. Likewise, the neither pleasant or unpleasant. And it's interesting just to reflect a little on the experience that we have in this realm. Because it's not as straightforward as you might first think. It sounds quite straightforward. But the interesting thing that we can notice is that the pleasant Is pleasant when it arises, when it sustains, when it increases. It's pleasant. But the experience of something pleasant becomes unpleasant when it diminishes or when it ceases. Hence, of course, the urge to sustain it. But when something is pleasant and it becomes less pleasant, but it's still pleasurable, we experience that as actually often unpleasant. That there's been a sort of a downgrading in the degree of pleasurableness is strangely unpleasant to us. Likewise, with the uh, with the unpleasant, when it arises, it's unpleasant. When it increases or sustains, it becomes, it's more unpleasant. But actually, this might seem obvious. When it becomes less intense or it ceases, the pleasurable is actually, sorry, the unpleasant is actually pleasurable to us. It's like, oh how nice that pain stopped. That discomfort reduced. And something that hurts a lot, if it starts hurting just a little initially, that feels really good. Curious. So it's a very relational process in this sense. It's not set absolutely in stone in relationship to the experience. It's also relative to what was happening before and what happens after. And you don't need to analyze that. But it's just useful to notice that there's something a little fluid about this. But there's always something happening in the territory of Vedana in every moment of experience. With the neutral, it's very interesting. And the way the Buddha spoke of this, and again, one can check this out, when... The neutral experience is not attended to, or not known, but what that means is not comprehended as such. It's unpleasant. That's curious. When we talk about boredom, boredom means it's all kind of neutral, it's not pleasant or unpleasant. We don't usually call it boredom if it's really difficult, or it's really sweet. But we call it boredom, and at that point it's become actually unpleasant and painful to us. No one likes being bored. This is an illustration of the process whereby the neutral experience when not attended to, not comprehended and known, becomes unpleasant. The Buddha went on to say and point out that when the, and with I think considerable significance, when the neutral experience is attended to and known, it becomes pleasurable. Curious. Attending to the neutral, it becomes pleasurable. And with the breathing, we may have noticed at times that when we're kind of not really there with it, it's kind of neutral. But if we become really close to it, and we're really with it, and we're really knowing the experience, sometimes it starts to become very pleasurable. But it's not any different than it was before. It's the same phenomenological. <laughs> I said this morning I didn't use that word in the discussion we had, so I have now. Um, <laughs> and I, I think I should probably define it, but I'm not sure I can, so that's why I don't normally use it. Um, but there we are, it popped out. I hope you know what I mean. Um, but in, I'm going to lose my track in a moment. Um, in, in, in terms of the neutral experience, it's fascinating to see what happens if we really attend to it and recognise its neutrality. In the recognising that it's neutral, we can release that unconscious tendency to go looking for something more interesting to enjoy or looking for something that's a problem to kind of deal with and we might notice our mind has a bit of a particular tendency to go towards looking for a problem or looking for something kind of yummy and nice in terms of where we go when we move away from just the, the bare simplicity of much of our experience which in fact is often neutral a lot of what happens is and I'm using that word neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, that doesn't mean it's inherently lacking in that quality. It often means that the level of sensitivity we have access to at this time is not able yet to feel the subtler level of the experience in which that element might emerge without having to argue the point absolutely as whether everything has a pleasant-unpleasant quality. There certainly is the subjective experience of those experiences, sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches and thoughts. Those experiences which don't seem to have that tonality of pleasurable or unpleasant. And that's what we're concerned about. Just noticing how it's impacting there. But with the neutral, the significance of this here, and I think it's really really important and, I think, profound and beautiful, that the neutral experience is still neutral. When we don't attend to it, when we don't know it, it becomes unpleasant. The experience becomes unpleasant, not because the neutral thing is unpleasant, but because we're disconnecting. We're no longer connected. We're no longer in touch. And that is unpleasant. When we do attend, when we do connect, when we stay close with and do know the, the neutral or the neither pleasant or unpleasant experience, the experience becomes pleasurable, not because the experience has changed, but because we're connected. Because that quality of presence is infusing the experience, and it's that which is pleasurable to us. It's the connection. So much of the distress we experience with the difficult is not because the experience is difficult it's because we've disconnected. And yet we haven't seen that those two elements are not actually laminated together. They co-arise because of the rapid unconscious reaction. And likewise, a lot of what is pleasant to us, the deeper pleasure of it is not the pleasantness itself, but the fact that the pleasantness invites us to connect. And we're willing and keen, in fact, to connect with what is pleasant and pleasurable to us. But ultimately, freeing that capacity to connect with an experience, bringing it to bear on all experience, brings something into the field of experience, even where things are challenging and difficult, where there may nonetheless be a sense of something that we may not always call pleasurable, but that nonetheless has a quality of uplift and support and well-being that it brings with it. And so, just to say that that's quite a bit of material on the the topic, you don't need to sort of retain and process at all. What's important here is that we notice as we practice that quality in the experience, is it pleasurable, pleasant, or unpleasant, or painful? And if you're not sure, just notice, because the tendency is going to be to respond with a movement towards or away from. We kind of like it, and that's why it's Pleasant. It's pleasant because we like it. We like it because it's pleasant. They're kind of woven together. And likewise, we don't like it because it's unpleasant. And if there's something pleasurable that we don't like, it's probably because there's an association with it that was uncomfortable for us, that we're not necessarily aware of. So we might, for instance, say, yeah, I really enjoy eating food, but sometimes... I find it unpleasant. And there might be something else going on that we haven't yet noticed that's not about whether we like the flavor of the food we're eating. I won't try and unpack that further now. But um, in the noticing of that quality, if we can really tune to and actually acknowledge to ourselves, oh, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, this is neither. In that moment, we have the possibility of releasing what would otherwise be the habitual reaction of grasping and craving, of rejecting and pushing away, or of simply disconnecting and going looking for something else. And we're able to be more present. We start to actually free the heart and mind from that compulsive reactive pattern that leads us into the places of disconnection, and reactivity that are actually so painful to us and distressing and unhelpful. So, just settling again into the the seated meditation posture, taking a few moments to to feel the way your body rests on and into the Earth beneath you, sort of through the cushion or the seat of the chair or the bench, the way your feet or the legs or knees are on the floor or the mat. And as you feel that sense of contact with the Earth, just Earth, just noticing whether there's some element there that is a little pleasurable or unpleasant or neither. And then again, just setting the sense of uprightness, this kind of dignified and noble quality of a human being who is engaging intentionally, making a choice about what and how we will enga- what we will engage with and how we will engage with it, choosing to orient towards that which supports the development of what is wholesome in what is conducive to well-being. There's a certain nobility and dignity in that, even though it's not always easy to do so. And we can sometimes feel this in the uprightness of the body, that noble intentionality, and seeing again if there's anything that's pleasurable or painful in this, or neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And there may be elements of both, of course, or all three in different aspects of that postural, structural component of what we're doing right now. And relaxing also around that core of uprightness, allowing all those parts of your body that really don't need to be holding on or tightening, allowing them, inviting, encouraging them, but without demanding them to soften, release, begin to let go. And again, noticing what might be pleasant, unpleasant, or neither in that. And establishing the conscious intention to be as fully awake, present, and attentive as you are able to be without some idea or expectation of demand or demand of how that should look like but just what's possible here in this moment for this being tuning into this body sitting breathing feeling both the particulars of this And at times it may be useful to just open into the sense of the whole body sitting. The space around your body in which your body is sitting. And again we can just consciously choose to notice what there may be of that element of the experience that is pleasant or unpleasant or neutral or neither of these particularities. And it's not that we have to notice this in every moment but particularly if something arises where we feel the pull of conditional, conditioned patternings towards or away from just identifying oh this is unpleasant or this is pleasant pleasurable allowing ourselves to feel that specific element of it to be knowing oh this is a neither pleasant nor unpleasant experience happening what would it be to just stay with this experience not go looking for something to fix or something to entertain me to allow this capacity for deeply connecting with, entering into the fullness of the moment, of each experience of this breathing body, just as it is. having room in the field of our attention to acknowledge whatever comes, taking time if it's useful to explore regions of your body that may be experiencing something pleasurable, or something painful, or something neutral. Likewise, leaving room for the sounds that come, and we might notice when they're pleasant or disagreeable or neither. If emotional processes or strong patterns of thinking or soft, gentle patterns of thinking arise. Again, just noticing, not needing to do something about them, but it may often be useful to bring your attention into the body and notice how it feels in the body, in the presence of this, seeing, can I be with this in a non-reactive way, what's happening? What am I experiencing? What does it actually feel like? And can I meet it here? Without demands or expectations. Without coercion. breath by breath, moment by moment, just one experience at a time. This breathing body is the ground, the anchor and the place to which we can always return. If we find we've been drawn elsewhere. But when we notice something else has arisen, while not pursuing or rejecting such experience, nonetheless just pausing a moment to acknowledge, not needing to rush away back as if this body breathing was the only significant reference for our attention. And the moment we notice where we are, we're already present and awake. And simply noticing the tonality in that moment, in that place can be so helpful. Pleasurable, displeasurable, or neither. And then coming back into the body and the breathing. this experience unfolding just as it does, meeting it with sensitivity and wakefulness, just as you are. So do take a moment if you just need to release any pressure or bring some ease to your body. A few practical things I wish to mention and I'll pass it over.
1: So the theme today, um, Vedana, as Yanai has introduced, um, there is a strong connection between feeling tone and attention. So uh, if you have difficulty identifying feeling tone in your experience, rest assured you have plenty of them. Any moment of conscious experience, Vedana is part of your experience. You may not think that they are strong, or you may not think that they are discernible, but they take place. Any moment of conscious experience has a component of Vedana. So, One way to find out about this is where your attention goes. Goes most of our attention, all of involuntary attention to be precise, is largely directed by maximizing pleasure, minimizing discomfort. Okay, this is just how the cookie crumbles. There's tons of research about this um, in language very different than the Buddhists have used, but basically, there is um, shocking. Um, shocking congruency between Buddhist language and neuropsychological language about this. You will find that your attention wanders to things that tease out of you a a response of pleasantness, and you will find that your attention goes to things that, in particular ways, are insulting to you. Which one you do more of uh, hinges a little bit on your temperament and your psychological history, but you can be sure that most of your involuntary attention will be either appetitive, going towards the pleasant, or aversive, being slightly miffed by the unpleasant or the insulting. So if you notice that your attention wanders off the chosen topic of meditation, just take a moment, take stock. Is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? It's as simple as that. You know, you don't do an analysis, just a little scratch statistic. Wandered off the breath, found myself having wandered off the breath. The thing I have found myself with, is this pleasant? Is this unpleasant? When you go walking now, we process a lot of sensory input and you will see some things just Soften your gaze. Yeah? Some things they just kind of naturally want you to l- invite you to linger. Yeah? Remember, Vedana do not speak. Unlike your thinking, your images, your emotions, all the stuff talks to you constantly. But Vedana, they don't speak, they don't have much language. They say things like, ah, and nah. Yeah? <laughs> That's about the extent of their vocabulary. There are obviously, there's a gradient of intensity, but basically you'll notice your attention going to certain bits and pieces when you say, find your meditation pork and somebody's already on your path, or uh, you find uh, there's a soft, so sunny spot and you just, something and you just seems to want to slow down on that sunny spot every time you go, you know, that's Vedana at work, that's uh, a very time, a very well-documented phenomena that governs both our, our liking and our wanting. Yeah. So the important piece to take away is Vedana is not liking. Vedana is not your emotional response to liking. Although they're closely connected, Vedana, the pleasant and the unpleasant, are actually distinct. It is possible to acknowledge pleasantness without wanting it or without not wanting it when it's unpleasant and that's the key of this exercise. So for today just take note whenever your attention wanders to pleasant to unpleasant. See whether you can catch it at the pleasant and unpleasant stage and then obviously it's going to run on into liking, wanting or not liking, not wanting. Good, good luck with the hunt on Vedana. Yeah? <laughs>